Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. The Christian doctrine of God teaches us that he is absolute. He is completely what and who he is without the possibility of being anything other than what and who he is. He is absolute. He is simple, not simple-minded, but simple in the sense that he is not made up of parts. He's not divisible into parts. He is immutable. That is, he is not subject to change. He is eternally constant and stable. He is ineffable, infinite, without bounds or limitations. He is transcendent and unknowable as he is in himself. He is completely and absolutely distinct from everything else that is not God. He is beyond the grasp of everything that is not him, beyond knowledge of all that is created and finite. Now that which is not God, which is everything else, that which is created and finite is by distinction mutable, always in flux, always changing, either becoming or moving towards unbecoming, subject to change, finite, limited, boundaries, not absolute, not perfect, not free, and not simple. Composite, made up of parts that can disintegrate and fracture and break apart. God, on the other hand, in whom is no shifting, movement or change, no shadow of turning, he is what is real as what is true. He is life and being. In fact, he is beyond being. He is beyond all being. In biblical language, what expresses this is when the scriptures say that he is just and righteous and holy. This doctrine of the absolute, distinct, immutable God presents us, though, with a problem in our ability to even exist. If he is all of these things, how do we even exist? This problem develops in a full-blown scandal when we go to preach the gospel. And that scandal has to do with how this infinite and unknowable God interacts with this finite and even corrupted creation, and in such an intimate way. This is a real problem. Today, Jesus tells a parable of a sower who went out to sow his seed. Jesus goes on after the crowds disperse and he's alone with his disciples as he often did to interpret the parable for them. Now, when we read this parable, we may think of, um, by the way, he told them that the seed is the word of God. That's what the sower is sowing, the word of God. Now, we may think of this parable as the preacher preaching the word, the prophets prophesying the word, and that's true in some sense. But the, the grand narrative, in the truest sense, this parable, the sower, is God himself, who casts forth his word. 
And what is God's word when we hear and we think of God, this eternal, immutable, infinite God that I have referenced? When he sows his seed, which is the word, what is that word? Is it the Torah? Is it the commandments? The scriptures? Is it prophecy? Is it some amorphous sort of force of life? Is it conceptual, philosophical truth? Is it a moral roadmap? Now all of these things, in some degree, they reflect the Word. But they are not the Word. The Word is not a what. The Word is a who. The Word is the eternally begotten Son of the Father. He who is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity. The seed that the sower sows in the parable is the eternal word, the Son of God. The Son came forth from God into the world. And as Isaiah says, this word that goes forth from God shall not return to him without accomplishing that for which it was sent forth. Now think of what this means of this word, the eternal Son coming forth from God into the world. Think of what this means in relation to the doctrine of God, as I expressed it just a moment ago. He who exists in eternal, infinite transcendence somehow goes outside of himself and he goes down and he becomes, he becomes, that's a scandalous statement, he becomes a finite, composite creature. The word is sown in the world. The eternal one encapsulates himself in the finite limitations of creation and human flesh. The eternal one binds himself forever, forever, in the flesh of creation. That is a great scandal. In this parable, God becomes a sower who sows. God becomes. That is not possible according to the doctrine of God as I expressed it. For God to become anything other than he is. He is absolute. He is immutable. And yet, God sowing the seed of his word into the world. This is an event that happens. It is a happening it is a happening to God. God goes outside of his perfect inner stability. He goes outside of himself. And he goes down into the realm of the finite. The enfleshing of God. The son of God himself becomes an event. And he becomes a part of a mutable and finite world. The infinite becomes Finite. That is the scandal of our Christian gospel. Because he has willfully embraced and subjected himself to our creaturely finitude. Because of this, now God can be described. Now God can be apprehended. God can be known. Now... We can even paint his image on a piece of wood. 
That is a scandal. And that is our gospel. The casting forth of the word from heaven into our world. This is an event. It is a happening. It is the eternal word entering a new condition of being where he embraces our finitude. And this act of God, this enfleshment of the eternal word and son of God, this is the outpouring of God's love in the world. This is what accomplishes, in this very act, God's love. When the infinite one becomes finite with us. Now when he does this, let's be clear. He does not cease to be infinite. While he goes down and embraces our restriction, makes it his own, restricts himself voluntarily, limits himself voluntarily, he does not in any way diminish his infinite life other than through voluntary subjugation. And the result of this great and scandalous act of our God, the result of this condensation, is that he frees us from our creaturely limitations. When he encapsulates himself in our finitude, He does not cease to be God. He is now something he was not before. He is now also a human creature who is God. Yet he is no less eternal. The key in this whole event, this whole happening, this expression of God's love, which frees us from our creaturely limitations, the key in all of this is that it is voluntary. It is his willing to do such a thing. It is his own voluntary, sacrificial subjugation. That is the key. That is what is the love of God and the humility of God that we are to perceive in this great condensation. Through this act of God's love, his infinite and divine life is made available to us. We who are finite are given access to the infinite through Jesus Christ. Now it's not in a way that somehow changes us and makes us inhuman. It rather frees us, as I said, to realize that for which we were created, to be truly human, to apprehend God. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the eternal word of God who has become man. Jesus Christ, Mary's boy, he is the truth. And the truth as such is not a concept, but a person. A person who's coming into our world is an event. It is the becoming of the eternal word as man. And this outpouring of God's life into his creation This is his self-disclosure so that we might apprehend him. He speaks to us through the word, becoming man. He speaks to us in our human language, so to speak. The only way that finite created man was ever going to apprehend infinite uncreated God was for him to become finite man while not ceasing to be infinite God. 
You see how it works. And this is what is so beautifully declared in the introit for the Mass in the Octave of Christmas, one of my absolute favorite propers. In that season in which we give so much attention to the enfleshed God-man, we hear from the Book of Wisdom, when as all the world was in profoundest quietness, and the night was in the midst of her swift course, thine almighty word, O Lord, leapt down from heaven out of thy royal throne. You see, God no longer remains in the dark shadows of his infinitude. He is leapt down out of the eternal and inaccessible sanctuary. So we've been talking about in Hebrews as well. He has come out of his inaccessible sanctuary into our finite creaturely existence. He has made himself a member of our race. And all the while not diminishing or ceasing to be who he eternally is. So now we see him. We have heard him speak. We have touched his body. We know his name. And we even know where he lives. This Jesus of Nazareth. He is God. And when you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He has revealed and explained the Father. In our language, in a creaturely, finite, mutable, human language, he has explained him. A language that is natural to us, that we can perceive and understand cognitively. And yet this language, as he speaks it, It comes through his divine life and it elevates and lifts us beyond our creaturely limits. The truth is not an abstract concept. As far as we concern, even God as he exists in himself, for us, which is off limits to us, this is not the truth to us in and of itself. The doctrine of God is important. But for us, we need to realize that ultimately it is the doctrine of Jesus Christ which is our truth. That is the truth that we can lay hold of and know. That is the perfect doctrine of God, is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. When you want to know what God is like, let me put it this way. That sounded a little confusing to you. When you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus When you want to know what God does, look at what Jesus does. He is God. When you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He is there in his weakened flesh. He is fasting. God fasts. God prays. God forgives. He proclaims. He's courageous. He's obedient. He subjugates himself to temptation, to assault, to slander. He becomes a slave, poor and dejected, abandoned, silent before his tormentors. Jesus Christ suffering as man, that is your God. That is what God is like. That is what God does. This man dying upon this cross, that is your God. That is the God who made you and gives you life. When you see this Jesus, you are seeing God. There is no other God who is different from this Jesus. There is no other God who is different from this Jesus. There is no other God behind this Jesus. Some other God. 
He is your God, and he is the truth. He is the word which leapt down out of heaven. His very incarnate person. This is an event. It is a movement from absolute infinite stability into our finite created reality. He became something he was not before. He became a composite creature. He is not just eternal word and son, but now in time, he is materially man. This is God's revelation of his love for you. It is this sacrifice that he has embraced in his own person. It is this humility. It is this price he has paid that you and I might apprehend him, that we might receive him. The spirit of truth is the spirit of truth because he is the Holy Spirit who manifests and reveals Jesus Christ to and in us. It is the Holy Spirit who Christifies us and unites us with this Jesus Christ. Now Jesus says in the parable that it is only the noble in good heart which can receive the word and bear fruit, which can keep the word. The Greek word here also for noble means beautiful. It is the beautiful, noble, good, and worthy heart. This is a heart which listens to, is sensitive to, is obedient to the voice, the wooing of the Holy Spirit. How do we receive and keep Jesus? How do we keep Jesus? This word that is spoken of in the parable. Well, we keep Jesus by imitating him, not as moralism or mimicry, but by subjecting ourselves in faith to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we become like Jesus. Jesus is formed in us by the Spirit, just as he was formed in the Blessed Virgin by the Spirit. We must hear and receive the word, but it is not a passive hearing. It is an active and courageous hearing. The word leapt down out of heaven. His leaping was an event. It was a movement of the immovable. The immovable moved. At great cost to himself, by the way. If he's the highest that he can be, the only where he can move is down. So for him to move meant to go down. For him to create you was a cross for him because it was inevitable that he would have to go down to get you. And take you to where he was. It was a courageous act. And courage is an important part of the Christian life. It was an act of his love. For him to become something other for our sakes. Well when we receive this word. We must be courageous too. And we must act. We must leap. Just like this word leapt out of heaven. If we hear and do nothing then the word will just be trampled underfoot, picked off by birds, or choked by weeds. We must hear and we must act. We must respond in faith. God has prepared a cross for you so that you can become like Jesus. It is a cross which presents itself to you every moment of every day. And you have an opportunity to either embrace it or to turn away from it. The cross must become to us Something beautiful, the most beautiful thing in the world, not something that we shun, not something that we are afraid of. The cross must be our life. 
it must be our desire that we embrace it with all that we are. We must see in this cross the very love and the very life of God. A love that is received and not returned is stolen by the demons. It's plucked up and lost. We've received the cross of Christ. We must return that love by embracing the cross he has prepared for us. Jesus gave himself. The word came and gave himself through sacrifice, through the beautiful love of God. He poured himself out, the incarnate word made creaturely man. He offered himself in humility and sacrifice. And if we are to receive this word, if it is to bear the fruit of glory for us, we must also give ourselves back to him in the very same way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.